This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or be on blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hello folks, welcome to the latest episode of the How You Go Mate podcast, Adam's my name. I'm the host, creator, producer and chief tea person here at the How You Go Mate podcast. I do it all. I do everything. Um, one of the things that we do here at How You Go Mate is we put out a bit of an open call every once in a while. And when you see that, if you want to come and appear on an episode, I will will listen to your story. Um, there might be people out there thinking, oh, he doesn't want to hear my story. I can't be on that podcast. That's too, he's too cool for me. I'm probably not thinking that last thing. Um, but, but we, we, we love, I, I, we love hearing people's stories and we, we want to hear people's stories about their mental health. We want to hear people's stories about their challenges. Most importantly, we want to hear people, people's stories about their recovery and how they've come back. Um, and manage their mental health conditions and got in front of their mental health conditions. And so that's the most important part of this process. And so like I said, once in, once in a while we put an open call out to people and we say, come and be a part of our podcast. Um, come and tell us your story and share your story with us. And I was very fortunate. I did that a little while back and I had a few people come up and say, yes, I'd love to be a part of this. And one, those those three stories are all coming up over the next few weeks, or next couple of months. But one of the one of the people who got in touch with me was um, a friend of mine, Anissa. Now I've known Anissa for thirty years. Uh, we connected on Facebook. We went to high school together. Um, she was a couple of years younger than me, a couple of years below me in high school. And um, but we we our, our sort of group of friends, our our circle, um, hung out a little bit together. And so we did. You'll hear in the podcast we did some. Some funny things together, some interesting things. Um, you know, our claim, one of our claims to fame is that we got uh, Molly Meldrum flipped us the bird <laughs> backstage at an Aria Awards or something like that. That was kind of cool. Um, but the, the really interesting thing that, so when I first started chatting to Anissa, the really interesting thing was, um, you know, I knew her at this time in her life and, and much of what she talks about on the podcast, um, much of what she talks about in this episode, I, I was there while it was happening and I had no idea that it was going on and you know, much the same as, as um, Nathan who was our very first ever guest on our on our podcast uh, he's done a few episodes and he's talked pretty openly about his um, his upbringing and his relationship with his father particularly and you know I was there and I didn't know it was going on now I was a teenager we were kids when no one expected me to, to fix this or figure this out or be able to help them manage this or deal with this but as an adult, I sort of look back on this, and I think I say this in the in the episode that how many times do we have people in our life, or how many of those people that we grew up with, how many had similar stories, stories of you know traumatic childhoods, you know unsafe home environments, abusive parents or step parents, and how many of those people, you know, didn't make, and I and again I think I mentioned this in the podcast, how many of those people 
didn't make it through the other side, didn't get the help that they needed, didn't realise, you know, what was going on for them and, and how they could manage that. And so this is what this episode is about. It's about people listening to what to Anissa's story. And if you hear something in there that sounds like your story or sounds like a story of somebody you know, you know, go and get support. It's not too late to, to try and unravel some of those knots. It's not too late to try and, you know, feel better and, and, and you know, focus on your mental health and your well-being. And that's the whole idea behind the podcast, you know, to hear a story like you're going to hear from Anissa and to to be able to kind of say, well, you know, I could possibly try that or, or that sounds like me and I want to be able to go and, you know, do the things that she did. Uh, so we talk about everything from Molly Meldrum flipping us the bird to, through to Bowen therapy and everything in between. It's a really interesting chat. A big thank you to Anissa for being a part of this whole experience. I'm really grateful. And without further ado... As we always say, every single episode, let's ask Anissa the question. <laughs> Love that little giggle. <laughs> People are going to go like, what, what, are you, what, what are you two laughing? Oh, so that just... pre-talk, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you going, mate? We, we've, we've established off air that you've had a busy night, but how are you going? <laughs> I am freaking fabulous, Adam. <laughs> I am fabulous. Oh, that's good. That's good. So just, I guess, um, people to give people listening a bit of a background, we have known each other. I'm going to say to, to to ourselves now, I'm going to say we've probably known each other for 28 years, maybe? Longer? Oh, look, my, no, math, my math is pretty shit, so I'm going to say yes. No, longer. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually probably be over, over 30. Over 30. Um, yeah, yeah, it'd be close to 30, actually. And we've, we've had some experiences together. Um, we met John Ferris from Inexcess together. We yes. Photographic evidence of that. We, yes. As you said, do. as you said the other night, the other day, I, I was watching the Molly Meldrum miniseries and was relaying the story of the time that Molly Meldrum flipped us the bird. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favourite stories. I like to tell people whenever Molly Meldrum comes up. <laughs> Yes, has he ever flipped you the bird? <laughs> and, that, and that was the same night that we saw Pamela Anderson live in the flesh, so to speak. Oh, look, I don't remember that, so... Oh, I, I mean, do. Clearly, I don't have I the, do. the draw to Pammy the way that some of you boys obviously did. It was obviously a fond moment for some of you, but for me, it was John Farnham and Molly Meldrum flipping the bird. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... Yeah, no, I, I, it was the Australian Music Awards, I believe. Not the Arias, I don't think. I think it was the Australian Music Awards. They were a sort of a competitor. And she was a special guest programmer. And uh, we only really saw oh, maybe 10, 10 seconds of her getting out of a limo and going into a um, into the backstage area. But um, she was quite magnificent. Even, it even was though, enough. It was just enough for you, wasn't it? She, yeah, You know, they <laughs> often say... so. Um, they often she was better in real life than she was in the pictures, and and she was just quite lovely. And they say that about a lot of these actresses and models and all those sorts of things. Like the photos don't do them justice, and and it didn't. She was very very lovely, very plastic. Like she's completely at that stage was, you know, had, was quite plastic. But she was, yeah, yeah. So so yes, yeah, so I've in my little tree. I've got John Ferris, uh, Molly, and of course Pamela Anderson. <laughs> so before we, that's a 
people are listening going, this is a, what are we, why, what, this is not an entertainment podcast? What are you talking about? So <laughs> before I ask you the, uh, what does mental health mean to you question, it, just give us a little bit of a, a rundown of, give us the, the, the Anissa story in, you know, a hundred words or less, not a hundred words or less, oh, you can use as many words as you want. A hundred words, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a hundred's going to cut it. <laughs> all right. uh, That's all right, we've got lots so, of time. So, um, you know, I've lived a colourful life. Um, I've, um, I've had my own fair share of traumas. I'm still um, fighting some of those some of those inner traumas and you think you're good and you think you're fabulous and then something triggers and you go back to where you were, you know, when you were six. Um, mental health for me is something that is, it's ongoing um, and it's something that you've got to work at and it's something, it's, it's not something, it's like a relationship you have with yourself and it's something that I, I wasn't really aware of, I think, until I really hit bottom. And I think that's the case with a lot of people with mental health is you don't really acknowledge it until you have to, mm. I think. Um, so so I had um, what looked like a normal childhood from the outside um, but was very different from, you know, within closed doors like a lot of households are. Yeah. Um, I had my mum who loved me and um, – who never told me she loved me, really, um, but did love me. I know she loved me. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad left when I was two, my real dad. Um, I had a stepdad that was there from five until, I don't know, 30 or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole time he was there, he was abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, on and off, he would go through his stages of guilt and try and buy me back. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was physical, mental, emotional and sexual abuse from him mm-hmm. for um, I think, look, I can think it started when I was about six. Um, but, yeah, the whole time. Um, and obviously that led to a number of issues um, in terms of me just looking over my shoulder all the time, in terms of me not feeling safe my whole childhood, in terms of pretty much insomnia because I couldn't sleep because I wasn't safe. Mm. And... Um, then there was, you know, throw into some separation anxiety there from your dad, leave, your real dad leaving you. Mm. Um, so that was pretty much childhood, um, teenagers sort of accelerated because, you know, you're trying to find who you are mm. and <clears throat> that's scary as it is. Um, probably more scary for everyone else that's around watching you. Um, but that's when it really sort of really got to breaking point for me, um, that's when I spoke out and told my mum what was happening with the abuse. She saw some of it. I mean, she saw the physical and the um, some of the emotional, mm. um, but she certainly wasn't aware of the sexual abuse. Mm. Um, so that was sort of ongoing from, you know, 6 to 16. Um, 16, I, I got to breaking point because it got really bad mm. and told my mum and it all sort of calmed its farm and I got a lock on my door and promised that it would never happen again and blah, 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 blah. Mm. All the things that you're told and you believe. Um, and he never touched me again from 16 until I moved down a home and was in my own house and he cornered me one night and told me he was going to show me what, you know, what real men do. Mm. Um I don't know how I got away that night. I was I was a mess and I, that was in my own house. Mm. Um, you know, as a grown adult, 
and I called the next morning. I went was I sat in the car a night with a friend, and I went and said to him the next morning, "I'm not coming home. That's my home. How dare you? I'm not coming home till you leave." Mm. Um, and that was ten hours away from his house, and he got in the car and he left, and that was the end of that. Um, it's probably another five years or so before him and mum actually divorced. Mm. Um, and it really wasn't until after mum kicked him out that I actually told mum the full story. Mm. I had told her the full story at 16, mm. um, but I hadn't – I think she blocked it all out. I think she was in her own world of um, denial. Mm. Um, he certainly – like she wasn't – void of of his um manipulations and um physical and emotional and sexual abuse either Mm. like she knew what he was like Mm. um i think she was a single mother with me because as i said dad had left when i was two so i think she thought wow i've got someone to take care of me and my daughter Mm. and then i've got two sisters that are you know that are to him Mm. so or she had no job um, and I think she felt really stuck, you know, from, you know, where we grew up, you know, we weren't living the life of lavish luxury. So I think she felt really stuck. So that's yeah. that's sort of the childhood version of Anissa. And I'm, I'm quite happy to talk about that with anyone. Hmm. Um, and I feel like I've, you know, I keep going back to that and I keep doing the inner child healing and I keep going back to, to the traumas. Um, I'm not reliving them, but I keep going back to heal them Mm. um, and to bring them up when they come up. Um, But, I mean, I I don't think they're they're not gone. You know, they're never going to be gone. Um, I can just acknowledge it. Um, And people say, you know, there's that stupid little meme and it drives me insane that says, um, when you can tell your story without crying, you're peeled. (laughs) And that just makes all this, like, all the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and my skin crawl. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's bullshit and that is just, you were just, you've just told it enough or thought it enough or, or removed yourself enough and you desensitized enough to be able to tell your story. Yeah. So there's still times and, you know, there's still points that I get to where I do have a cry um, and that's okay and sometimes you just need to cry it out. Yeah. Like, sometimes you just need to cry it out. Um, But, I mean, my life from then onwards, you know, um, did it get better? Did it get worse? It's just life. There's ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. You know, I've had had, um, long-term relationships um, that have gone sour and I've gone and I've gone to rock bottom because, you know, they've left me and my life's miserable without them and what am I going to do? But... At the end of the day, you go and see your doctor and that's, you know, that's where I'm at. Mm. I, I went and I, I got my doctor and I got a good psychologist and um, and I think I needed to hit that rock bottom and feel like I am I am suicidal and I'm going to kill myself and I'm going to get in my car and drive into a pole. Mm. I had to get to that point before I recognised what, what mental health was and that I wasn't right. Yeah. And that wasn't normal for me. And I'd always been quite positive. I'd always been that half glass full kind of girl. That's And that's what got me through, I think, a lot of my childhood was, well, that's the worst thing that could have happened. Hmm. Like I used to play it down. Like 
well, I was never raped. I was never actually raped, mm, you know, mm, and mm. there's other people out there that have been and I was never, you know, I was never like physically, like really badly physically tortured. Mm. It's like, well, no, you weren't any, so, but you're playing it down. Mm, mm. Um, and I guess you kind of just have to take that step back and go, you know what, when you're at rock bottom, I just recognised I needed help. Mm. And I didn't know what that looked like and I didn't know how I was going to fix it. But because I'd been so positive and so, you know, um, that's not me and I'm not that bad and um, I just knew I needed help. So I drove to Queensland <laughs> to my safe person right. um, because everyone has a safe person that they feel like they can talk to or confide in or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, I hope everybody feels like they've got a safe person. Mm. Um, so I drove to Queensland, um, you know, um, with in the back of my mind the thought that I could easily I, – I, I couldn't drive in front of another car or another truck because I, I physically was like I can't hurt somebody else. So mm -hmm. I had it in my head that I was going to drive into a pole or a tree. Mm -hmm. um, so somehow I managed to get myself to Queensland, managed to, you know, get some help. Um, I did the psychologist thing um, and she pushed my buttons um, and pushed them beyond what I thought they could be pushed. Mm. Um, but she also made me understand why I did the things I did um, and why I reacted the way I react to lots of situations and made me understand that I had this trauma that was multiple fold. It wasn't just as simple as you've had this one event. Mm -hmm. And that was the start for me for mental health. That was really the start of it. So I was working as a teacher at the time. Mm. I, um, you know, I had been a teacher. I've been a teacher for 20 years, um, a high school teacher. Mm. Um, and if that's not enough to send you crazy, I, I don't know what is. I was going to say, man, but... if you survive that. <laughs> I know what but... we did to our teachers in high school. <laughs> so at that time I was teaching. Um, and lucky, luckily I did have, you know, I could take time off and, you know, school holidays were great and all of those things. Yeah. Um, but I did take a little bit of a break and um, I, I had some time out and took my mental health and took that under control, um, crawled myself out of what I, how I describe it is, I crawled myself out of the hole that I dug for myself um, and started, you know, my, my wellness journey is what I like to call it because it is a journey and it's, I don't see it ending. I just see that it's just always there and you deal with it when you have to deal with it. Um, and sometimes you're going along really great and you feel like you're going along really great and then something will trigger you. Mm. Um, so then something pops up and you deal with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, since then I've, um, I came back home once I could deal with life again and went back to work and taught for another few more years. Um, and then I, I, I hit um, the dreaded 40 and kind of questioned, you know, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. um, you know, did what I like to do and drop everything and book a holiday and went to South America because that's what you do yep. to celebrate a birthday. And, you know, we um, come from a family of travellers and we like to travel together. And, you know, three, three months in South America, doesn't that sound amazing? Oh, fantastic. Um, so that was quite often a way that I would also remove myself um, and deal with things as so I just remove myself. Yeah, that was my that was one of my coping mechanisms. I'd run away. I'd mm. run away to Queensland. I'd run away to South America. I'd run away to Bali. 
Um, so, yeah, so I came back from that South American trip, 40. Um, I then found out my dad had cancer for the, I don't know, second or third time, I don't know, um, and uh, it was terminal. So um, this is my real dad, okay. I should mention right at this yeah, point. Yeah. So in amongst all of that, um, one of my one of my most famous comments was um, when mum said to me, well, you may as well meet your real dad. He can't be as bad as, as your stepfather. And um, and that's, you know, and that was basically, well, he couldn't be as, couldn't be as bad as him, you know. So from the age how of... Could he be as, how could he ever be as bad as him? So, I, so that was when, so it wasn't until I was in my, like, 30s that I met my tracked down and met my real father wow. um so then i had a whole heap of unpacking to do with that and right. to deal with this, the separation and the and the discussions about why he left and why he never contacted me and all i got you know i got some answers mm. um and we made as much peace as we could with that um and and in the end he knew that what i'd gone through as a child some of it um not the best you know present to give your father but Mm. I I wasn't going to hold anything back. If he asked, I told him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so dad um, dad then died at home um, peacefully, mm. um, which was the way he wanted to go. Mm. And so then, then I had that next wave of grief come for me. Um, and I was still questioning. I just had my 40th and I was just questioning what the hell am I going to do with my life? I'm so, I'm, I was miserable. I was unhappy. Mm. Um, I was in a relationship that I probably knew was I was unhappy about and was a dead-end relationship and I wasn't being supported emotionally um, because he was was not dealing with his inner child and I basically thought I need to do something. I'm taking leave from work. I was having major anxiety at that point in time, panic attacks, um, you know, the panic attacks where you feel like you're going to die because you're hyperventilating, you can't breathe, your mm. heart's pounding, your hands are sweating, you know, you can't think. Um, thankfully, I've worked out, a, you know, a way to, to deal with those and I haven't had them now for probably three years. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to go to work. Um, I, I didn't have a problem leaving the house, but I didn't want to see certain people. Some people would trigger me. Mm. Um so I took some leave from work and I then went to, back to see my Bowen therapist that I hadn't seen mm. because I'd moved towns and I hadn't found a Bowen therapist in town. And I had a migraine and my ankle um, was healing from ankle surgery. I'd had my Achilles um, reconstructed. And I had this anxiety and I'm like, I'm just going to go and have some Bowen. I'm, I just need to calm my farm. Now, so but, but, but I went ahead. I was going to just say, explain to us what Bowen therapy is so we, we kind of know that because there'll be okay. people listening going, so, you know. So you know a massage? Yep. Oh, it's yes. It's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. <laughs> well, well, first of all, you're not, a, you're not a lovely Asian woman named Ling, so no. It's <laughs> Nothing like the best. Um, so no, there's definitely no happy endings in my bone therapy <laughs> in my bone therapy clinic. Um, so bone therapy is a is a modality that works on the body physically, mm -hmm. um, that works with muscles, tendons, ligaments, and fascia. Which fascia is the one big thing that sets us apart from most m massages and mm. most other modalities mm. um, to release um, your muscles, but also to reset your central nervous system. Okay. 
to tell the computer to reboot itself. Right. So this is why it's so great for, you know, I mentioned I had a sore ankle, I had headaches and I had anxiety. And that's why it's so good for both physical things and mental things um, because it physically um, calms you down Mm. through the releasing of the muscles but also through the signals that it's sending through the central nervous system to the brain to say, reboot, there's something wrong here, just reboot, reboot, reboot. And it sends your body back into its nice, from fight and flight, it sends you from that fight and flight state of, I'm in a panic, I'm I'm losing my shit, Mm. into, (sighs) you know, back to sort of that reset, reset mode. and it is bizarre because I don't have yet, you know, you don't have physically hands on the body all of the time. Mm. You make little small moves mm. over pressure points and over those muscles and tendons. And then you have a little wait period. And that little wait period, um, the first time I had Bowen, I'm like, what the F is she doing? Like, how's this going to help me? Well, I've just wasted $90. Thanks. Mm. Mm. Um, but what I, you know, what I know now is, all bodies need that processing time. Mm. So you work on a part of the body and then you have a little wait up to up to five minutes, depending on the body, depending on the part of the muscle and the and how big the muscle is that you're working on. Mm. So you have a little wait, it, your body processes, and then you go on and do the next part of the body. And sometimes you go back to that part and you check if it's softened and nine times out of ten, that muscle has relaxed because you've done what you needed to do. Mm. You've left it the time so that it can chill out. Mm. So the message has gone to the brain to say, hey, this isn't normal. Relax. Mm. So I went and had my Bowen um, and my Bowen said, therapist said to me, because uh, I said, I'm going to have to do something. I'm having time off, but like, listen to me. I'm not someone that's going to sit back and just go and lay on the couch and do nothing for 12 months. Mm. So I, um, she said, go and do some bone therapy. Like it's, you, you know, go and have a look. So I thought, okay, yeah, I will. I've been having bone therapy for, for 20 years at that point in time, on and off for different things. And I thought, I'm going to go and have a little look. So, um, yeah, one thing led to another. Um, I've now been in business um, for, for over, just over 12 months now. So I decided that that was the right thing for me. As soon as I got to my first practical day, as soon as I met my teacher, I was like, this is it. This is mm. what I want to do. Mm. Like I was certain at that point. Let's not talk about all the anatomical stuff that I had to get through. Let's not talk about the <laughs> business plan that I had to write from my creative art side. Of I was going to say, let's let just let everyone know that you're an art teacher. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a past art photography teacher. So stepping into anatomy and stepping into um, writing small business plans and thinking about money and finance, yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure this is for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah, anatomy, dealing with, um, PE and biology, my two, like, most hated worst subjects. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't second guess myself. But as soon as I got to that practical module, and as soon as I met my teacher, and as soon as it become practical, and as soon as it become, um, relatable, um, that's when it clicked for me, and I went, this is what I want to do. This is exactly what I want to do. I want to help people. I've always wanted to help people. Teenagers don't really want your help. Yeah. Um, as much as, I mean, some do, some are great, yeah. you know, kids are great and they, they cry out for all, 
for different reasons, all to do with mental health mostly. Yeah. Um, but um, I had got to the point in teaching where I couldn't help anyone anymore because I, I felt defeated. Mm. I had no more to give from the teaching point of view. So I knew I still wanted to help people though and that's when I stepped into becoming a bone therapist. And then that still felt like it wasn't enough. Like I needed some more little feathers in my cap um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and then I went and I got hypnotised because hell, why not? Mm. Um, and I fell asleep. <laughs> so I failed um, my first um, time at being <laughs> the, hypnotised. That'd, that'd be me as well. I'd be... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, uh, but now I just realised that A, the hypnotist wasn't working with me and and B, I was physically exhausted. <laughs> um, so, so I went along and decided I would become a hypnotherapist because I thought I can then work on the mind and the body. Mm. Um, and in my head, that just made sense. Really? That just made sense mm. for me. So, so yeah, so since um, June, I've been um, working now with hypnotherapy and with Bowen separately mm. as complete separate entities, but I've also combined them together. Yeah, you were saying the other day that, that um, you have people that come in and you'll do a, a bit of hypnotherapy on them and then do the Bowen therapy and the hypnotherapy kind of helps them to relax a little bit before the Bowen. Is that... Is yeah, that... yeah. So, I mean, all modalities, hopefully, whatever you go to, modalities are designed to help you relax. Um, but, you know, hypnotherapy is designed to send your mind and your body into, you know, full relaxation. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people do struggle with that. You know, and I meet a lot of people that say, um, I can't be hypnotized and, you know, I have ADHD and mm. blah, blah, blah. In yeah, there are 7%, there's only 7% of the world of our population that cannot be hypnotized, mm. um, for whatever reason to do with what's going on in their brain. Mm. Um, and and I think look when when can I just say when most people think hypnotherapy, they think you know like you you know every time you hear this sound you're going to be a chicken or something like that. Well, oh, they, everyone like, comes to me and goes, "Can you make me crack like a duck?" Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> well the, yes, I can, but that's hypnosis and that's for a stage show. Okay, so so, you know, so what what is what what actually is it? What are you actually looking to do with so hypnotherapy? So the main thing that you're going into hypnosis for is for a purpose. Right. So the purpose the purpose could be that you drink too much. Yeah. The purpose could be that you have anxiety and you need to calm down. Yeah. The purpose could be that you want to quit smoking, you want to lose weight, you want to stop biting your nails, you want to quit Coca Cola. Um, whatever your voice is, it can also be on the flip side that you want to be more successful. It could be that you want to be better, a better golf player. Mm. Um, they use hypnotherapy at the AIS for um, for sports improvement and for sports enhancement. Wow. Um, because the brain believes what you tell it when you're under hypnosis. So if I tell you you are an absolutely fantastic basketballer and you don't miss a hoop and you believe that, mm. then you'll go and be a fantastic basketball player. Mm. So the thing is with hypnosis is you're implanting into the subconscious what you what that person wants. Mm. So if they want to be a non-smoker, you're implanting into their brain that they now are a non-smoker. Mm. So that's just how it is, mm. that they don't smoke anymore. Yeah. 
And as long as they walk away and they don't smoke, then they're a non-smoker. The downside is, and why you hear about, oh, hypnotherapy doesn't work. (laughs) I hear that all, you know, every now and again I get it. Not a client, but I've come across somebody in my life that says, oh, hypnotherapy didn't work for me. And as soon as you break that hypnosis, as soon as you break the suggestion, what we call the suggestion, so whatever you break the plan, yeah. you go straight back to your old your old pattern mm. because the brain works on patterns. Mm. The brain works on habit and it will continue with its habit that it likes and it will continue on a new habit as long as you don't break it. Mm. So as soon as you break that habit, it'll go back to your old, your old mind habits, mm. whether it's smoking, whether it's drinking, whether it's whatever it is. And I've pushed that to its limits. Like, I've tried it. I'm like, oh, I don't believe this. Like, let's just see. <laughs> so, yeah, so I um, I have my own little addiction to Coca-Cola, which in the grand scheme of things is not a bad addiction to have, but it's yeah. still an addiction, and it's an addiction to sugar, and it's an addiction to caffeine, um, and it's the only addiction that I can relate to in terms of, you know, smoking, drinking, gambling, yeah. you know. So it's the only thing that I've got to relate to in terms of an addiction. Um, so I push the boundaries, what would happen if I gave it up and I hypnotise myself, which that's a whole other crazy story about how you hypnotise yourself. Yeah. But um, so I hypnotised myself to give up Coca-Cola, which I did. I then decided as a hypnotist that I would push the boundaries and see what happens when I want a Coke when I tell myself I want a Coke yeah. or when I have a sip. I want to know what just happens if I just have a sip. Is that yeah. going to break it? Yeah. So I did lots of lots of like that, you know, guinea pig self-testing yeah. um, theory. And as soon as, guess what? As soon as I had that sip, I've got a glass of Coca-Cola sitting in front of me now. And what time is it? 10, <laughs> you know, 10.30. Um, <laughs> so, I, have a, I have a theory though. I, like, I'll often have a can of Coke Zero first thing in the morning and people be like... Coke Zero, that's bad for you. That's, that's I'm like, it's no different than a cup of coffee. At its yeah. very core, it's yeah. no different than a cup of coffee. It's just cold coffee without milk. It's all it is. Yeah, exactly. It's just a different form and it's another vice. And we all, you know, you hear it all the time, people using their vices, their calm down factor. Mm. You know, I need a cigarette. You know, I need a drink. Mm. I need it. And for me, it's I need Coke. Mm. So... Obviously, that's that you know, something's triggered me, and I've gone, you know, straight back to the caffeine and the and the sugar because my brain's now gone back to that old habit. Mm. So, so is that is that just about because look, if I'm if I'm someone sitting listening to this, I'm I'm almost thinking, well, it doesn't work. You're doing it still, but is that just the other urges being so strong that it outweighs, and you, then you maybe have to kind of go back and reset it? Is that well, kind of what that is, or? Well, for me, and that's what I said, as soon as you break it, it doesn't work. Mm. So, no, it, it's not indefinite. It can be. If yeah. you, I could never t- – I, I could have if – it's not about willpower. So, it bypasses your willpower in terms of your brain. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so hypnotherapy is not about willpower. But as I said, I wanted to test my boundaries. Mm. I wanted to test what will work and what will happen when I had it. Mm. So, just for me, I'd gotten to the point where I just was like, I'm going to try it. I want to see what happens. I want to see how it tastes. It tastes like shit. I had it. I was like, this is sugary, syrupy, whatever. The next day I went and bought a can. Mm. 
Like, you know, it's not something that is rational. It's an addiction. So it's re- like anything else. So really, the way I'm kind of relating to it, and I'm thinking of an experience I had, and I'll probably tell you about it in a second, it takes that away from being a compulsion to being a conscious decision to have a can of Coke. But once you make that conscious decision to have a can of Coke, bang, you've stopped it. You're not necessarily compelled to have it. You're not going to go, oh, I've got to have a can of Coke, I've got to have a can of Coke. But if you actually go, I'm going to have a can of Coke to see what happens, then the hypnotherapy snapped and, you, and you're back to being what you were. Is that, is that kind of where, yeah. where it's at? Yeah. 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 And now I'm at the point where I know all I've got to do is hypnotise myself again and I'll be back to where I was with not drinking the Coke. Yeah. But it's then that cycle that you've got to get through as as a person to say, I'm ready. Mm. Like you have to be ready to give up anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to be ready. And that's when when clients come to me when they're ready. They come to me when they're ready. If they're not ready, I will tell them you're not ready. Mm. I can't help you. Like yeah. you, if they get to the point where they're like, my wife says I need to quit smoking or my wife says I need to cut down on drinking, I'm not going to be able to help you mm-hmm. because your wife wants you to cut down on drinking. Yeah, You need to be at the point where you really, really more than anything in the world want my help. Mm. You really, really want to give up drinking or cut back on drinking or stop binge drinking till you pass out. Mm. You've got to be at the point where you don't want that anymore personally. Mm. Until you get to the point where you really don't want that personally, I can't help you because you don't want it enough yourself. Mm. So therefore, anything I implant into your brain will not work. And they're the people that walk away saying hypnotherapy didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. Because they didn't want it and they didn't also believe in it. You have to believe it's going to work. If you think, oh, when tried hypnotherapy once didn't work. Mm. You know, and, and like we were talking about before too, Adam, is, if you haven't got the right person to work with yeah. as your therapist, it's not going to work yeah. for whatever reason. If you're not in the right place at that time and if they're not the right person for you, I believe they're the two things that come together. Mm. You've got to be in the right place at the right time for, and be ready for it and you've got to find the right person. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to push your buttons and it doesn't mean that they're not going to make you cry or piss you off. Mm. It just means that they're going to be the right person that has the right amount of knowledge or the right amount of experience or the right amount of empathy Mm. or have been through something similar. And that's, I believe, your little magic combination. Yeah. Yeah, And for it working. We spoke about that the other day, you know, that um, part of the reason that people talk to us the way they do about the things that they do is we've had some experience with it um you know you've had experience of sort of complex trauma and and all the other things that come along with that i've had experience of depression and 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 a mix a little smidge of anxiety growing up but all of the things that you talk about in terms of abandonment and separation and all those sorts of things certainly things that are part of my experience as well but people recognize that in you and they and they see that that realness like you know you get it you understand me. Yeah. And I think and I think when you've been through any kind of like massive amounts of trauma and you've been down the bottom and you felt like, you know, that you don't want to be here anymore, I think you have a you just have some more compassion to understand how someone else feels at that point too. Mm. Regardless of what situation they're in and mm. regardless of what's got them there, I think you just have some form of understanding and empathy because you've also been there and yeah. I felt like shit and you needed help. So I'm here. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then to, to just to come back to what you were saying before as well, when we talked about this a bit before we, we recorded, but, you know, yeah, oh, I tried hypnotherapy, didn't work. Okay, cool. How did you try it once? Yep, tried it once. Okay, cool. Yeah. Try it five times, you know. Go yeah. to somebody else. If, you know, I always say to people, I, I like to joke that I'm a little bit of a lightweight in the mental health world in that the first medication I took worked for me and, and really helped me. And the first therapist I saw was really amazing and really helped me as well. Well, not the first, but when I was diagnosed with depression back in sort of 2007, um, you know, they, I went and saw a guy as a part of our workplace program. He was fantastic. He just got me. He understood me. He spoke to me the way I speak. I mean, I, I recognize now it was a skill of his that he was able to go, okay, this is yeah. now how I need to approach this dude. This is what he yeah. needs. But, um, but you know, I, it worked straight up for me. So I was really, but I was really lucky. I was really lucky that that guy worked for me straight away. And not a lot of people get, get that. And, and you probably hear that. I certainly hear that a lot. Like, oh, I tried that. It didn't work. Yeah. Try it again or try something else. Try another thing, you know. Yeah. So I, I guess the thing is, is that if you don't feel like that's your vibe, then go with something else. Mm. And if you don't feel like that person is connecting with you, then go with some other person, but mm. stick with the same modality. Mm. So, you know, hypnotherapy didn't work for me. Bowen therapy didn't work for me. Well, yeah, but you haven't been to me yet. Mm. That's my, like, that's, so whenever I, I often get a client will call or a potential client will call and say, um, I need a massage. And I say, well, I'm honest. And I say, I could just book them in at that point. Like at that point, I could say, yep, tomorrow at 10 o'clock. But I say, well, I'm a I'm a Bowen therapist and hypnotherapist, and I say, and I say, have you had Bowen before? And quite often, um, you know, they'll either say, obviously, yes or no. If they mm. say no, you've got to try it. Mm. You know, if they say, yep, didn't work for me, and I and my my calling card is, but you haven't been seen me yet, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, you, you, you might have had him, but you haven't had me. <laughs> but that's what I'm getting at in terms of. Sounds like, a, sounds like a really bad pickup line. <laughs> come on, come on, baby. Yeah, you haven't had but, me. But but it's true because if you if you can connect, and that's another thing that you know you are taught as therapist, you're taught to mirror. You're taught to mirror a person's personality and you're taught to mirror a person's language and you're taught to mirror how they sit and, you know, you're taught to do all of these things. Mm. It doesn't always work, mm. no. But if you can help someone to feel better today than what they felt yesterday, then kick my job's done. Yeah. yeah it doesn't mean that they're, you know, it doesn't mean that they're better. Yeah. But if they're walking out of my clinic feeling better than they did yesterday or better than they did when they came in, then I know my job is done for that day, for that moment, mm. and that makes me feel good too because that's what I—that's what I feed off, yeah. helping people. Yeah. So if I get someone that messages me later on that says, "Thank you so much, Mister, I'm so much calmer," and I, 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 thanks for taking the edge off today. Thanks for helping me. I thought I was going to have a panic attack. I forgot my Valium. Blah blah blah. And they message me saying you're a lifesaver. Well, yeah. I'll wave my little, you know, wave my flag around thinking I'm amazing and I'll be a cheerleader <laughs> all you want because if I've if I've helped at that time at that moment, then I've done my job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the you know, and that's the thing with the Bowen and the Hypno together. 
because that little combination, especially if you're suffering from depression, anxiety, stress, um, if you find it difficult to relax, if you find it difficult to switch off, I'm one of those people. Okay, so I don't think I've taken breath yet, maybe for you to talk, but I my brain's like that too. My brain does not shut down. It's yeah. constant, constant, constant. What if I do this and what if I do that and what if I do this and oh, I might do that and I better jot that down. I have to write things down, otherwise I, I think, I can think, oh, I had an idea about that like in 2014, but now I can't remember it. <laughs> so I journal so that I remember things, but so also to get things out of my head because yeah. my head's so busy. And my life's so busy. So I am a Bowen and a hypnotherapist and I do run my own business. But I also have another business that I, you know, I go to markets on the weekend. I also clean with my arm, my mum. I also nanny with with two little kids. And I've got my, pe- you know, my little foot in all sorts of little different boxes yeah. because I've got to survive. Hey, yeah, I've yeah. got to live. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my ideal would be one day I'm going to just sit in my little clinic and, and just and help people all day long. And that's what I'm going to do, and that's going to be enough for me to survive. At this point in time, I'm still, you know, scraping at the barrel to pay all the bills. Yeah. And that's what life is. Yeah. And is it hard? Yes. And am I tired? Yes. <laughs> but am I going to get up and do exactly the same thing I have to do tomorrow? Bloody hell, like. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's the interesting part about it, isn't it? Um, coming back, and, and people, I think we want... You know, we go in, as you say, we go into a counsellor and we go, you know, make me better. We go into a balance therapist and say, make me better. And it's like, you know, it's not a destination. This is a process. You know, yeah. you're going to have to yeah. do this over and over again. But, you know, and, and so much of what we do in terms of the helping stuff that we do, like I, I don't get any money for any of this stuff. Like I don't earn a cent. Um, in fact, it costs me money to, to do the yeah. things that I do. Yeah, you it's know. for love and it's for passion. Yeah. It's something that you believe in. Yeah. and um, But I think also, you know, to get sort of <laughs> – we, we, we used the term airy fairy earlier on. But I think also if you really do tune into that passion that you have, then eventually sort of economically – and we have to be realistic, but economically you'll be taken care of. You know, you'll, you'll build your business. You'll get the yeah. people through the door. Yeah. And, you know, you'll find a way to get to, to monetize that passion for, for lack of a better term. Um, and not and that's not the goal. The goal is not to necessarily monetize it. But if you're doing the right thing for the right reasons. The then good, it will just happen. The good stuff will come to you. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, I, you know, I believe, once again, my glass is half full. I believe the universe will provide and mm. it always does, you know. Yeah. I don't have a job. Okay, I'll go and work with mum. Oh, I I can have a business. Oh, COVID. Oh, here I'll go work with mum. Mm. You know, I'll go and do something else. I'll I'll start making headbands and sell them at the markets on the weekends. Mm. You know, I just will do something else because yeah. we've got to survive and and there's no other option. I don't. I I'm on my own. I don't have another option. I don't have, you know, I don't have someone that's going to pay my bills. Mm. I don't have someone that's going to, you know take up care of my mortgage i just got to do what i've got to do so and i think that that's once again my my drive and my motivation but it's also the fact that i can positively self-talk myself Mm. you know out of my funk Mm. and and that's something that's taken a long time to do Mm. but um it's that positive self-talk that you give to yourself you know that little pep talk and that bit of courage that you give yourself Mm. that is like um you know you can do this Mm. you're on the right track you know you're doing the right thing Mm. all of those things and i mean it sounds it sounds a bit you know lame ass but 
on the flip side, if I'm telling myself, nah, you shit, this is not going to work, mm. well, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And you will believe what you believe. Yeah. You know, you can be good at something and believe you're good at something or you can say that you're shit and you'll be shit. Mm. Yeah. So I'm a, you know, a firm believer in that positive, you know, fake it till you make it works. And the more you surround yourself with happy people and the more you surround yourself with people that are positive, the more it's going to rub off, off on you. Surround yourself in negativity and that's what you're going to feel. Yeah, I... Um... I read a quote one time where it was something along the lines of, you know, your diet's not just what you eat, your diet's what you read, it's what you, you know, it's all the things that you consume, it's the people around yeah. you, it's everything. And, um, yeah, you, you put shit into your body and you're going to get shit out of your body. I mean, I'm not exactly. I'm not a prime example of, you know, healthy eating and great lifestyle. <laughs> but No, um, but, but there is a point, you know. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, I use music as an analogy a lot. You know, you think about the music you listen to and how how simply a song can make you yeah, feel. Yeah. You know, you can put on the sad tunes and lie on the lounge with your blankie yeah. and, your, you know, your bottle of whatever is your fancy and you can be miserable all you want. Yeah. But you put on that happy party song yeah. and automatically your mood can change. Yeah. So music has that feel for you, you know, and people do the same thing. Yeah. And all about that positive vibe that a you give off and b that you get yep. back from people that are around you. Yeah, nothing, nothing but a good time by Poison. That's my feel good song. As soon oh, as I put well, that on. Party in the USA. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's my jam. Right. I, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's got a song. You know, everyone's got a song. Everyone's got a. You know, you might have your go to sad songs. Yeah, I'm not saying don't have a song to cry to. Go have your pity party. But when your pity yeah. party's over, pack it up in its box and then get back to life. Yeah. And yeah. that was what I and that was what I told myself too is okay, your pity party's over and your son. You've had your you've had your moment. Yeah. You've done your moment. And it's not to say that I, as I said, I don't have a cry every now and again. I was very, very far and few in between. I'm not a crier. Mm. But have your moment. Be sad, be angry. Be whatever it is that you need to be. Mm. Feelings are good. Feelings just tell you that you don't feel right and you need to do something about it. Yeah. You need to do something, whether it's it's just a call to action what your feelings are. So if you can relate to those feelings and go, okay, I feel like shit, I need to do something, mm. whether it is go and see a therapist, see a doctor, talk to a friend. I mean, it might you might just be on, the, on that little peripheral where you just feel like, a bit like shit and you're having a bit of a bad time. Mm. Might not mean that you need to be on, you know, antidepressants and anti-anxiety mm. drugs and see a psychologist and psychiatrist and have, you know, it, it might not be like that for you. Mm. But some people have that in their head too and there is still a little bit of a stigma, I think, about that too. And people stress about being on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, touching, first thing, touching on that, what you were talking about, um, I... Whenever I talk to anyone about mental health, I try and get them to, to rethink what mental health is because, you know, like we talked about diet. So people go, I'm going on a diet and people, there's an almost a negative connotation with that word diet. Like, you know, oh, it's a bad yeah. thing. I have to restrict myself. But, but diet is literally just what you put into your body. And mental health is the same. You know, we hear, oh, it's a mental health service. It's a, Everyone has mental health all of the time. It's, you know, it's always a part of who you are. You wake up feeling good, you've got good mental health that day. If something happens, you feel shit, your mental health is not good. 
it, I, I sort of say to people, start thinking of it in terms of we've always got mental health, but then we have a mental health issue. Then we have, and it's not necessarily, as you say, depression or anxiety, but it is, I've lost my job and there's going to be a period of time where I'm going to feel like shit. Or I've my wife's left me and there's a period of time I feel like shit. If you don't do anything about that, well, that potentially will come become a mental health condition. If you yeah. do nothing to, to, to fix or remedy or support that, but if you then come back into, well, hang on a second, I have to, I have to get up or I have to go and you know talk to somebody or I have to listen to some music. Um, I, I said to people like early stages of the pandemic and and sort of you know being at home and then the business, the company I work for um, shut down for a period of time and you know like just getting I, I, I had to getting out of bed and having a shower and a shave I had to make myself do that um, yeah but, but you know because the the bad days were the days I didn't do that the bad days were the days I got to four o'clock and I went shit I haven't even had a shower I haven't even gotten out of my pajamas um, and and I didn't want to be that get up have a shower have a shave do something to kickstart your day and then you know get active in in supporting your mental health do something, you know, as yeah, you say, go, call you call your Bowen therapist and go, hey, can you fit me in today? You know, go for your walk and do that. Do whatever it is that you do to support yourself, you know, for your self-care. But just do that. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, and I think at this time, you know, I hope we're through the worst of it now. Um, but I think, you know, COVID was a shit time for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It was shit because yeah. jobs were shit, economy was shit in terms of the money coming in if you weren't working. You are at home, and for some people, home isn't your safe place. No. It should be. But yeah. For some people, it's not your safe place. For some people, work is your safe place. Mm. For some people, going out on a Friday night and partying and out is your safe place. Mm. It's your refuge. And for some people, being forced to stay at home, fucked with their heads. Mm. Mm. And it's undeniable, but hopefully we're through the other side of that, and I'm hoping that some people haven't taken how they've felt in COVID and dragged that through. And I, I'm no doubt that it's that it is. And I've had numerous conversations about with clients and friends about how I think anxiety is going to be a huge thing, mm. you know, post COVID, because so many people are so anxious about a about COVID itself, about getting COVID, about someone in their family having COVID, mm. about work and the, mm. you know, how how things aren't potentially as stable as you thought they were mm. um and also you know about the masks mm. some people are i hate them but i deal with it yeah but some people are using the mask like an actual mask to hide behind mm. Mm. and how many mm. teenagers i mean i think we're going to have another sort of pandemic you know coming out of covid with anxiety and teenagers because how many teenagers do you see with a hoodie on to cover most of their head and with a mask over their face. So all you can literally see is their eyes and then they avoid eye contact. I, I saw a dude the other day walk out with a walk out of a shop with a hoodie, a pair of sunglasses and a mask on. And I yeah. thought, you know, two years ago yeah. you were robbing that place. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> two years ago you couldn't you, that would be unheard of because yeah, you were yeah, it was dangerous. Yeah. Now it's dangerous yeah. in the fact that not to have that what on. What <laughs> happens when you're expected to take all that off and be back yeah. in a normal, inverted commas, society yeah. again? Yeah. We, and um, I think we're in, you know, I think we're in for another wave of different sort of mental health issues post-COVID. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, we, I mean, last year, I don't know what this year's numbers will look like. Last year, we didn't see, we actually saw a decrease in suicide numbers last year, which was, which was, you know, kind of heartening. But, um, you know, because I think all the predictions were that suicide rates were going to increase. But I, I think those mental health numbers are going to be through the roof. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. And the other thing I think, and, you know, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, Barb and I, as we've been sort of discussing this sort of stuff, is that we've all formed new, new you, you talked about habits, we've all formed new patterns and habits over the life. Like here in Sydney, we've been locked down for over 100 days. Yeah. Um, and, and so we got used to this. Like it only, they, they say it takes anywhere between sort of, you know, three weeks and, and six months to form a habit. Yeah. We're used to being inside you've, now. <laughs> you've, just, you've got you've got your new habit because yeah. it's been forced upon you in some ways. And now you know people like structure, mm. some more than others, but people like structure. You like to get you know your body gets used to knowing you get up at a certain time and you go to work. Yeah. You come home at a certain time and then you know then you do whatever you cook dinner mm. or you have yeah. a drink or whatever it is. Your body likes habit, yep. and that's why. That's why we get into the predicaments we get into with our habits and our addictions because mm. our body likes habits, yeah. whether they are a good one or a bad one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's the for and against is our brain works on that habitual nature. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I started, you know, that's why I started looking into the brain a bit more and into hypnotherapy a bit more and, and thinking, you know, as – and that's why I got into some neuro-linguistic programming, some NLP, mm. you know, to, to understand how to retrain the brain, mm. to understand, you know, I've been doing some, some mind and soul wellness coaching because I want people to, to understand how that works. Once you understand how it works, you go, oh, mm. yeah. Mm. Like when, you know, when you actually think about it, oh, that's why I do what I do. Mm. Okay, it's a habit. We can break it. I was explaining dopamine to my seven-year-old the other day. And, um, you know, she loves her iPad and she gets cranky when we try and get her off it. And yeah. I said to her, you know, you don't want to play the iPad. What you're looking for is a dopamine hit. So we're going to have to find another dopamine hit. Yeah. And so, and I see it in her. I see if she's had a, a feeling a little bit down, she'll just jump on the iPad and play a game. Yeah. And, I'll, and if I don't want her on there because she's been on there for too long, I'll say, are you looking for the iPad or are you looking for dopamine? And yep. she'll be like, oh, I think I'm looking for dopamine, Dad. And I'm like, okay, cool, let's go outside. You know? Let's go outside. Let's put some roller skates on. Let's go for yeah. a ride on the bike. Let's yeah. go to the park. Let's, yeah. you know, you've just got to find – and that's the and that's the thing is you've just got to always find – and there will be a replacement. Mm. And that's one of the things that I say to my clients as well is, okay, you're going to replace the alcohol or the cigarettes, but you are going to replace it with something else mm. because you still need a habit. You still need – you know, an addiction for lack of a better word because yeah. that's once again how our brain works. And, yes, it takes, you know, the 30 days to six months to create a new habit. Mm. I can implant it into your brain in one session, mm. but you still need to think of what that better habit's going to be for you, yeah, yeah. what your what your habit's going to be that you want that's, you know, the lesser of the two evils. Mm. Well, I stopped um, coming back to the, the hypnotherapy stuff. I stopped smoking 13 years ago. And um, for me, what I used to do is reward myself at f every fortnight on payday. So rather than buy the carton of cigarettes, I'd go like, okay, yeah. you got 50 bucks to buy yourself something, go and buy yourself something. And I, you know, DVD, a footy jersey, yeah. whatever it was. But I do that. And coming back to that, I was thinking about that before. So when I stopped smoking, you're absolutely right. I, I had to want to do it. I had to have a motivator, which is um, I was freshly divorced, just bought a little unit, needed to save some money. But also, I read a book called The Easy Way to Stop Smoking by Alan Carr. 
And it's basically, I think, rudimentary self-hypnosis. It, it's basically repeats the same message over and over again. It gives you some logical stuff, but it also taps in. But at the end of the book, he says, have a cigarette and then never have one again. And I've never had one yeah. again. Yeah. Never had one again. And when you were talking before about, you know, if I, I know if I break, I've never been, that's why I was sort of said to you, I've never been felt the compulsion to have a cigarette again. I don't want one. If I do ever have one, it'll be an actively conscious decision. Yeah. But I also don't want to do it because I just kind of go like, I don't, I don't want to unleash that. I don't want to try and test that or play with that or see what that looks like. You know, I'm not smoking now. I don't want to smoke now. I have no real desire to do yeah. it. So let's just not do it. But certainly for me, the reward of, you know, I've, I've got footy jerseys in there that I go, oh, yeah, that's that's one of my, you know. That's when I, that's my give up smoking. That's my, yeah, stop yeah. smoking reward jersey <laughs> right there. Yeah. Um, you know. And that, and that triggers something to remind you of where, how far you've come as well. Yeah. And I changed no spending habits and I had three grand in the bank inside of six months. I oh, didn't know. Like, if that's not reason to do it, then, yeah. you know, apart from the health benefits. Yeah. yeah. You know, apart from the health benefits, the, you know, that the financial gain is, yeah. you can take yourself on a holiday for that. Yeah. And, and I think cigarettes have doubled in price since then. So it's, um, you know, incredible yeah, exactly. now. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, it was, it was so many reasons not to do it. But yeah, I, and um, yeah, we're the same. We'll stand there and tell, you know, um, now to get off the iPad and she'll, you know, won't get off the iPad because there's nothing better for her to do. Yeah. You know, we haven't yeah. replaced her with anything. And a lot of kids anything. feel that way. Yeah. A lot of kids feel that way. And you will have the, you know, the kids that would chuck absolute clonker tantrums. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because of it. And it's just because they don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. You know, and as adults, we, I mean, some of us don't know any better, but as adults, we need to be the ones to provide the better option and the better alternative and the, be and, and the alternative to the habit so that they can get their dopamine in another form. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we're, we're closing in on an hour. <laughs> we're, oh. we're nearly up to 50. See, I told you I can talk, <laughs> and I haven't even gotten through half of what I needed to say, Adam. <laughs> oh, well, we, we'll, we'll talk again in a couple of months' time. We can do the other half then. Before you go, I you did. we were talking the other day, you did a self-care sort of video, a little thing to camera on Facebook about what you do. The The... Final, well, not the final question, but the question I love to ask people is, what's your go-to? What's your go-to for, uh, you know, we talked about music and obviously the bar and therapy, yeah. but what, what's your go-to for when you're feeling a bit of shit and you just need um, to look after yourself? Uh, oh, look, honestly, at the moment, um, I mean, I'm in the, in the best. I, I'm feeling the best that I've felt for a long, long time. So I feel like it's been, it's been a while since I've been in that place. Um, so I find positive that positive self talk all the time is something that keeps me out of out of my funk. Mm -hmm. um, I do have the flat moments, and when I have the flat moments, for me now that just that little bit of self talk, um, and it's the thing, and there's the, also the things that you say to yourself, not just what you actually physically say out loud, but it's mm -hmm. the thoughts that you think to yourself as well. Mm -hmm. So I just try and turn all of that around, and instead of saying, you know, oh that was a shit day, mm -hmm. I just and I find myself, you know, you, fi you find it and you identify it as soon as you say you're saying negative things and you flip it and you find the positive. Mm. Well, you know, okay, maybe it was a shit day, but I did this or I accomplished this or I made this person feel mm. good or I did, I got A, B and C done. You know, I did have the shower and wash my hair. Mm. 
instead of saying that it's just it's a non-productive shit day. I had yes, I had a lay on the lounge because I needed a lay on the lounge and I just needed to recharge and rest. Hmm. I find that the recharging things are a major thing for me because, like I said, I am so go 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 that if I don't recognize when I just need to pull back and lay on the lounge and watch some Netflix and cuddle the dog, if I don't do that, that's when I feel like I am going to hit the brick wall and that's when I feel like things are just coming at me left, right and center and I can't deal with things. Mm. So sometimes it is just literally just a little bit of time out. Um, I try and meditate every day and that's once again, that's a habit that I've gotten into but that also helps me calm my mind because Mm. I am so blah, 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 all the time. Hmm. I find that that helps calm me down and takes the edge off. And that's why journaling works for me as well. I write everything down. I get everything out of my head onto the paper at night, preferably, because then it's out of my head. I used to have a lot of trouble going to sleep. Hmm. Once I was asleep, I'd sleep for 10 hours. Hmm. But I used to have a lot of trouble going to sleep because my brain was so busy all the time. And as soon as I'd lay down, then you start thinking and overthinking and rethinking and reliving things and so i i started um journaling and it's really helped get things out of my head Mm. whether i go back and read it is irrelevant it's just the fact that i've got it out Mm -hmm. um so that's another thing that works for me um obviously i can hypnotize myself which is not that far removed from Mm. meditation but obviously i have that um at my fingertips if I need to as well. Um, I do a lot of inner trauma and inner inner child healing periodically mm. to just top up where I'm at and to, um, to deal with the trigger as it comes up mm. so I don't get myself or find myself falling back mm. into a bad place. So and, and, like and that's really, I'm, I was going to say to you before, that's really interesting. Like you, you mentioned that, you know, people will have that feeling and just then try and ignore it or move away from it or step away from it. But you're doing the exact opposite. You're going, all right, let's explore this and see why I'm feeling like I'm feeling yeah. and come back. And, and you gave the example the other day of, you know, uh, something that happened when you were two that has stayed in your subconscious has still lives with you. And now you understand that the reaction you have today is because of that reaction back then. Yeah, so each time I do, so I do inner child healing, excuse me, I've got a program called Unfuck Yourself, Um, and basically every time I I do it with a client, I go through it as well. So um, whenever I'm hypnotizing someone, I'm in trance as well, so I'm going back there as well. So Mm. I can't physically be a hypnotherapist and, you know, and, and this mind and soul wellness coach if I'm in the ditch next to you. <laughs> you know, I can't do it. So each time I each time I um I, I go back and do and do a course or a program with a client, I actually find something else about myself that triggers me. Mm. And then I deal with it. And that's the thing that I've found that you need to and you know, you hear people saying, Well just deal with it, mm. you know, or, you know, suck it up princess or whatever it is. Mm. It's that but it's more than just that. Mm. It's it's facing it. It's living in it. It's it's if you're anxious and you're fearful of it, yes, acknowledge mm. it. Mm. I'm fucking terrified mm. right at this moment. Mm. How am I going to deal with it though? What's mm. my action plan? Mm. You know. Yeah, I because most most of, most of us are picking up the as we said, picking up the glass of alcohol or putting the money in the pokies or smoking the yeah. bomb or buying the thing or whatever they're doing to go. Oh well. well I'll just do this other thing that feels good 
to avoid yeah. having to deal with that. 100%. That's all it's doing. You're in denial and you're not actually facing anything head on. You're mm. not actually, um, you're not stepping forward and making a change and you, <clears throat> you're staying on the hamster wheel. Mm. So, yeah, so I, I find that the meditation and the journaling gets everything out. I feel, you know, once again, listening to positive music, listen to a positive podcast, mm. listen to something, well, you know, that will well, inform you a little bit more. They've got read this, a book. They've got this you know, one you now. Not, you, might not, <laughs> you might not read. Yeah. You know, you might not be a reader. Get an audio book. Yeah. Listen to it on the way to work. Mm. I just I feel like there's so many things out there that you can do. You've just got to find what works for you, and it might be a multiple of those things, which mm. it is for me. Mm. But you might try something out that's not for me, yeah. and that's cool. But once again, try it with someone else, or try something else, and you keep trying until you find what works. And I just find now that because I'm vibing so high, and I am. I'm not happy 100% of the time. I still get frustrated. I still get cranky. I still get, you know, sad about certain things. Mm. Things still come up. But when they do come up, I feel like I now am at a place where I can now deal with that. I don't also feel like I've got a million things piled on in terms of my trauma. Mm. I haven't got, you know, the, the abuse as a child. I haven't got the fact that I'm a dickhead magnet and I keep attracting, you know, the wrong people into my life. I haven't got that my dad left me and my and then he died and I haven't got all of those things stacked on top of one another that's mm. amplified and amplified and amplified until it's the straw that breaks camel's back. Mm. I've tried to deal with each of them individually mm. so that as a whole I feel like I can just I can function, but when something does come up and something does trigger me I can go, I can acknowledge it and then hopefully I can deal with it. And then whether it's I write it down on a piece of paper and I go and have a ceremonial burning in the fire yeah. or whether I um, go and scream at the headlands, whatever it is that just gets it off your chest so that then you can get on with the next day. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's gone. It doesn't mean it won't come back. Yeah. But it just means that it's easier for me to then deal with the next time around when it does come back or the next time around when something else hits you when you're not planning for it. Because mm. let's face it, life does not go as planned. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not for no one. Like, no. It just doesn't. Was... Some, things, some things might go to plan and some things might go to plan for a while, but essentially you're going to be given throwing a curveball because that's how life works. Well, I was supposed to meet Pamela Anderson that night and she was supposed to fall yeah. in love with me. Didn't and happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> Didn't happen. Son exactly. Of, son of a bitch. I, I was meant to be a millionaire by now, you know, <laughs> drinking pina coladas on the Maldives, in the Maldives. But you know, life's what it is. <laughs> uh, on that note, I, on that note, I reckon we'll um we'll, we'll finish up. <laughs> I reckon that's that's, that's the goal. Sounds good. I'll, in my mind, whilst I'm driving myself to my clinic this morning, in my mind, I'm having a pina colada somewhere on the Maldives. <laughs> that's that's the spot to leave it. Thank you very much. No worries, Adam. Good to talk to you. You too. Hello, folks. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of our podcast. 
Uh, before I go, could I please ask uh, just a couple of small favours? Number one, uh, we would very much, as we said at the start, love for you to review this podcast. And of course, please share this podcast. Um, the reviews help us to uh, help other people to see what this podcast is about. And of course, the sharing helps us to get our message out there. We don't have any money, so we're really relying on uh, social media to be able to spread this message. Uh, equally, if you listen to this podcast, now we do a warning at the start, but if you listen to this podcast and anything uh, triggered for you or it made you think about your own mental health or well-being or someone who you loves mental health or well-being, please uh, take steps to help to either manage that yourself or to support someone to manage their mental health. Uh, if you do feel like you are need to talk to somebody, uh, and you can't talk to friends or family, please go and see your GP. Or, of course, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Or, of course, the Kids Helpline on 1800 551800. If you or someone that you love is in immediate danger, please call triple O. Uh, but at the very least, please um, find a way to manage your mental health and your mental health conditions. And please support the people that you love to manage their mental health and mental health conditions. And again, if something you've heard today triggers for you, please go and seek um, some support uh, immediately to manage your mental health condition, whether that's one of the helplines we just mentioned or the GP. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.